0: Hello, podcast friends. On today's show, Ryan and I are going to be discussing some news about the Premier League restart, the possibility of the Champions League resuming, and the slightly more disconcerting possibility of a lockout in Major League Soccer. And then there's actual on-field soccer to be discussed. That's nice, uh, including Byron scoring a basketball-worthy goal. I promise that will make sense later. Jaden Sancho netting a hat trick and Shaka doing the opposite of that. Uh, but first, in a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure: cancer does not stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will. Host a trailblazing event, the Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbVI. Uh, it will be to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Again, a lot of steps, but a worthy cause. Uh, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb conquer and cure register at lls.org big climb one more time that's lls.org big climb Hello and welcome to a weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. Joining me on the other end of the line to break down some of the action from this weekend is Mr. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan.
1: Hello, Tay-Tay. How are you doing this fine day? It's
0: it's a strange time. It's a strange weekend. I will be honest. It's It mm. feels like a slightly weird time to be sort of talking about soccer and goals that were scored and news that we have. Uh, but I think I'm okay with it. How about you?
1: I, yes, I agree. It was a very odd weekend, it continues to be odd as mm-hmm. the uh, as the hours pass. Um, but yes, uh, let's talk about some soccer, shall we? Because that's what we uh, that's what we came here to do, I guess.
0: It is, and I think yeah, there are like lots of other things obviously uh, going on in the world that are much more relevant to life in the modern world. Uh, and we did see some reference to that this weekend. We saw player protests from Jaden Sancho, Marcus Tchouam, Weston McKinney. Uh, we also saw widespread footage of protesters clashing with police, riots in cities, uh, and I think a lot of people are questioning some things about American society. I know that I am but I I guess I say all that just to say that if you feel like if you don't feel like listening to two dudes talk about soccer totally get that totally fine but I also understand that there are people out there who just maybe want the distraction or were really excited from the news of the weekend or saw some goals and I feel like you know I think distractions can be good especially when you spend all weekend just constantly reading news that is slightly a bummer so Ryan should we focus on some soccer does that work for you
1: it worst for me. I could certainly use the distraction myself right now. And I will say that most people, when they hear me come on this show, I imagine they switch off anyway. So um, <laughs> it might be business as usual for many out there.
0: Well, I, we were worried about that. So we, we, we scrapped our plans <laughs> to have David Geta come in and, uh, and, and sub for you and just play music the whole time. That seemed Ooh. like an OK idea. Uh, just kidding. It seemed like a bad idea yeah let's (laughs) get past that one (laughs) (laughs) all right so instead let's talk about um some news from the weekend we're going to talk about games later on in the show daryl and i on the listener questions uh saturday show got into the premier league restart plans we focused Mm. mostly on the particulars of how it could happen the structure of it the schedule we didn't so much look at it from the perspective of should this be happening and i think that's because daryl and i are both sort of Okay with the Premier League getting back underway, but I was realizing afterwards that I think some of that was rooted in like the way I felt about the Bundesliga. Like we didn't debate should the Bundesliga reopen, really, because I think we both felt like number one, we have faith in Germany, which is a strange, thing, strange thing to say, but it is true that like yeah. I have faith in them to be very efficient in their testing and making sure that everything is followed. And and so I and I was also just really excited for some semblance of normalcy to return with the Premier League, though I think there are things that should be discussed and can be discussed because there are uh, lingering concerns. And I hadn't really thought about that deeply until you, Ryan Bailey, pointed out that you have concerns about the Premier League getting back underway.
1: I do, uh, Tay-Tay, and you've, you've kind of outlaid it there with the classic Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park issue of they focused so much <laughs> on whether they could, they didn't think of whether they should with the Premier League. And I will say, you know, when this, when this pandemic started and the soccer went away, I was from day one saying this has to come back. We have to finish this season. We have to do this for integrity's sake. And I've I've softened on that view a lot, Taylor, in in light of what's happened and in light of how we're feeling. So I'll, I'll ask you a question here. Sure. Why is there no outcry about restarting the FA Cup right now?
0: Well, why why do you target the FA Cup specifically?
1: Because that's the one that doesn't make money, Taylor. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying that's a sincere point. We're yeah. trying to get the Champions League started. We're trying to get the Premier League started. All the major top European leagues. Those are the ones where we have to get them started. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's still the same integrity issues with the cup competitions. We're not. No one's outcrying about the FA Cup because. It doesn't make any money. And that kind mm-hmm. of that kind of outlines the reason why we're doing all this, doesn't it?
0: Ah, uh, sorry. I, I, I genuinely misunderstood your question and I thought you were saying like, why are they fine. restarting the FA Cup? And I was like, are they? <laughs> now I understand <laughs> what you're saying.
1: I'm saying that, yeah, people yeah. aren't aren't outcrying about completing that competition. So mm-hmm. why are we having this outcry about completing a different competition? Obviously I get that the Premier League is a bit higher in stature than the FA Cup, but my point being that we're kind of doing this for mainly financial reasons, are we not? And I, I, I must say, I've been very pleased with the way things have gone in the Bundesliga. I think you know their protocols have been followed very well, and I think their protocols have been very good. And there's a video that the Bundesliga put on their YouTube channel, and their YouTube channel, the English one, is excellent, by the way. They they've put this video about their hygiene concept, going yep. into detail about how um, how their media and how how things are shot and how players arrive at the stadia. It's very impressive.
0: It, it is and then the the stuff that i've been watching games on fubo so i don't know if this has been a normal thing on like the regular fox channels i'm assuming it has been though but at halftime you get those videos of like there's the jaden sancho like highlight clip of him getting away from defenders with like overdub with people talking about social distancing there's the one of all the bayern players like demonstrating how to properly social distance and the precautions to take so it feels like they have prioritized Safety, that is definitely the case. But I also take your point that like fundamentally, as are many things in this world, it's about money and the Bundesliga want to be able to make money. They don't want to have to like uh, renege on deals and give back a bunch of money or be like at fault for things that they can't control. And I think it's the case with the Premier League as well, certainly. I think the difference then becomes that the way Germany responded to the pandemic crisis was much more proactive and much more thorough, at least in my mind, than, let's say, England or the United States. So then the kind of rush to reopen those leagues, I I guess I don't have that sort of faith that underlines, like, my my reasoning. So whereas with the Bundesliga, I felt like, okay, but we know Germany's kind of, like, observing the right protocols. They're going to take this really seriously. They've been taking it really seriously I don't know if I can say, say the same thing about England, or at least some of the, the players at a very basic level. Like we, we know players have gotten caught doing things more than just mm-hmm. training, having sex parties, not the best way to <laughs> practice social distancing. I think the Bundesliga didn't put out a video about that, but I kind of know that for myself, that social distancing doesn't involve having uh, sex workers come over to your house.
1: Well, yeah, you, you think you wouldn't have to make that video, but maybe you do in the case of the Premier League.
0: Maybe but, you do. Maybe that'll be their video, their halftime <laughs> <laughs> instruction video. <laughs> yeah.
1: List. The half time videos will be uh, entertaining there on football. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, uh, I, I, you've, you've tapped into the point here. My point being that Germany is very culturally different to the UK and the US, I would say. And I, I just don't believe that England will be a successful at the restart, I think it's being a bit rushed in the context of where uh, England is in in the context of the pandemic. There's been over 37,000 deaths in the UK from the pandemic. That's the second highest tally uh, behind the USA, I believe. Germany, they're averaging 10 deaths per 100,000 people. Uh, the US, it's 30 deaths per 100,000 people. The UK, it's 58. So it's nearly six times as high as in Germany in the UK at the moment. And, you know, the UK is rushing back at the moment schools went back today for example and a certain year groups went back to school today um because school's not out there's like another month or so to go in the uk oh wow um and, and it's part of this push to get things back open again and as you as you said there, I, I don't think that the players can necessarily be trusted to to, to come back and to to, to isolate uh, properly. As we've seen instances where players have broken the very strict lockdown that they had in the UK, I'm not sure that the fans can be entirely trusted. We've seen images from the UK of beaches being packed this weekend mm-hmm. and some very irresponsible behaviour going going on there. And you know, Liverpool two games away from winning the trophy. Are we honestly thinking there's not going to be any gatherings? When Liverpool lift that trophy, if they win another, if they get another six points, um, and you yeah. know, there are there's issues with isolation, like we're asking. It's the same thing we're asking in, in MLS. We're asking the players to go six months into a bubble, uh, six six weeks, excuse me, into a bubble uh, uh, and be away from their family and friends. And there's players who've already said they don't want to isolate. There's players like Kevin De Bruyne who said he's got you know young kids and a pregnant wife who don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. We've seen in the news today. Uh, I was reading about in uh, like Charlton players like Lyle Taylor don't want to go back. They're refusing to go back. And we've seen things with Troy Deeney as well. Yep. There's just so many pieces in this puzzle that aren't fitting in at the moment. And I'm not being down on the place I come from and saying, oh, we can't be trusted with this kind of thing. I'd like to think I have faith in humanity and they can be trusted, but there will be some bad eggs who could ruin this. There w- the, the 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 pandemic is at a much more advanced stage and you know the, the UK simply doesn't have the contact tracing. It doesn't have the testing in yeah. place that Germany does. I just don't feel that the UK is in a position, England is in a position to restart this league at that time. And they might be. I hope I'm not being too negative, but they might be setting themselves up for a bit of a failure here.
0: I think there's a, a massive difference between being negative and being realistic and being cautious in your concerns. And I think that's what you're being, because like when you look at it like from a like basic building block issue, at least the way I have the blocks assembled is there, There is this sort of rush to get back to normalcy because I think the prevailing feeling is there's – until there's a vaccine, it will continue to be a thing. And we have to have some semblance of normalcy because when it comes down to it, we're trying to avoid full-on economic collapse. And in the yeah. Premier League, that means if they cannot get the games back underway, if they don't have games to show, then they're not having that money. They're going to have to repay it. There's going to be massive losses. And so I think fundamentally it's guided by – the desire to not be like defaulting on billions of dollars. Uh, So when that is the kind of motivating issue for some of the people who want to push this through, that is where I do have those concerns, because then I don't think the Premier League is, you know, going to fail or anything like that. But it's just a talking point we don't need. And I don't really want to get into of two weeks after it reopens when a player tests positive. Well, should we close down the league? That feels like a thing that maybe isn't being, at least to me in my mind, being focused on as much because there is this emphasis on let's justify why we want to reopen. And again, I understand why there's that desire for things to resume, for people to have the entertainment, for players to get back on the field and score some goals. But if it's done at the expense of like, yeah, observing proper safety protocols, I, I'm, I'm going to be less than thrilled, uh, to put it lightly. But as I said, uh, on the weekend show, I said this when I was talking to Grant Wall on his podcast. Um, that was not a name drop, more of a plug, uh, but also trying to like publicly note that I have said this several times. That like I, I I will be uh you know I will watch I will be like interested in what happens but I, I do have some concerns about the Premier League getting back underway but I think they have the blueprint from the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga are sort of the model right now and so if they don't follow that to the like to the degree that German clubs have that German authorities have I feel like it's even less defensible if things go wrong.
1: Yeah, I agree that they definitely have a blueprint and and the Bundesliga has very much helped their case for starting up but there are there's just, there's just a different conversation happening in the uk the police in the uk are saying that empty stadiums represent an unsupervisable threat to public safety people showing up that's not really a conversation that's been happening in germany and as i say the the r rate the the, the death rate is much higher in the uk and there's much less being done or much less has been done to uh, to curb this pandemic in the uk so i just think there are different factors at play for the premier league and i hope i'm wrong i hope i'm mm. wrong i hope i'm being completely over the top on this but I don't, I don't know, there's there's, just a, a different feeling, a different mentality, and perhaps even a different mentality among the players as well as as how many we've seen speak out already.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, because for those players, I think that there is that concern about what happens to us and what happens to the safety of our families and what have you. There's also the element of like, Liverpool are gonna win the title. Come on. (laughs) Like, like it does seem like if you were, like, uh, if you were looking at leagues that probably could sort of abandon in place, if you were removing like monetary constraints and everything that goes along with it, like, like, give it a couple games, Liverpool are going to win the title. It feels like it's going to sort of go the way the Bundesliga has gone, where after a couple games, it's like, yeah, Bayern are probably going to win this. I mean, they were always probably going to win it, but even more so now. Like, I I do think you could probably award Liverpool the title. You still have the risk, then, of people uh, coming out of their homes to celebrate, and I do think that's probably a thing that'll happen. Hopefully, everybody wears masks. But, yeah, yeah if, if you win your first title in a very, very long time, I don't know. I would probably want to run around a little bit. Maybe people will, will behave accordingly, but I also think... I don't know, it's human nature to want to celebrate in groups. You want to be around people and be happy together. Definitely. So I can't really yeah. fault people for that inclination. I can fault people for rushing uh, through some decisions that could potentially put people at risk because of that natural inclination, if that makes sense.
1: It does make sense. And one more thing I'll say about integrity. We're, we're trying to finish this league. One of the primary reasons they're saying is integ- sporting integrity to get the league finished. But obviously, there's going to be different circumstances. Different teams have different strengths of uh, of schedule remaining and i can't shake this feeling taylor that you know there's so much financially at stake in the premier league it's so important to try and stay in that league there's those teams who are threatened by relegation let's say you're i don't want to pick out a particular side but let's say you're a, uh, an east anglian side who play in yellow and green and you look it's looking like you're in trouble i mean yeah, what what's stopping a few of the players going to lick a few doorknobs at Starbucks and ended up, you know, getting half the team? Um, sorry, that was a terrible joke, but I, I don't mean to make light of it. But well. what's stopping if if they claim that half the team has got, you know, been tested positive? Sorry, we can't play any more games, mm-hmm. and th- there comes a point where th- that that would be an issue. I feel particularly in the Premier League where the, the stakes are higher, where where I wouldn't put it past a team doing something like that, frankly.
0: I can't say i'm I'm so worried about doorknob licking uh, but, but but I'm glad that you've got uh that that area of concern on lockdown. Thank you for
1: I just want, I just all I want to do Taylor is get back to normal life where I can go back and lick those doorknobs. <laughs>
0: And I, you know what, Ryan? I think that's a fair dream. I think that's a fair dream to have, but uh yes, for those who did miss, uh, I probably should have said this up front, and if Daryl is listening, I'm sure he's he's rolling his eyes that I didn't, but if you missed it, uh the Premier League returns Wednesday, June seventeenth with a full program of fixtures uh that following weekend, we've got the two kind of outstanding fixtures from when march uh from from March when the games were initially postponed um mm-hmm. Man City, Arsenal, Aston Villa, Sheffield United on June 17th. Then we've got the full program of fixtures, many, many games. We will have lots to discuss and hopefully it will all be soccer related and not coronavirus related. Uh, we've talked about the Premier League. Let's talk uh, quickly about the Champions League restart, uh, which is slightly, I'm going to say very much less concrete at this point We because we have dates, we have some specifics, we have some schedules, we have some protocols known from the Premier League, from Serie A, La Liga, certainly from the Bundesliga. Champions League, I think it's a bit more nebulous at the moment moment. But I think there are reasons for that. And a large part of that is because they're waiting for all of the different leagues to figure out how they want to proceed and what they want their kind of protocols to be before we then look at a kind of European wide competition.
1: Yes, there's even more unknown factors in starting the Champions League up, obviously because it's pan-continental. Um, according to a few European European um, news outlets, the, there's a plan to start on August the 8th mm. in an express format. So once those remaining round of 16 matches are played, you'd have the quarterfinals and semifinals as single-game knockout games instead of the you know, two-leg ties, obviously. It's not been made clear where those quarterfinals would take place, but there's a plan apparently in one of the articles I've read that the final four games would all happen in Istanbul where the final is um, scheduled to take place. Um, and this, this plan, if it did start on August 8th would require the 2021 season to be delayed so that the players could have a rest through, um, through September, because obviously they hadn't had enough rest in the past few months. Um, it's it's tricky because of so much international travel being involved. For example, Paris Saint-Germain is still in the competitions. Who knows if their government would even let them play in France at the moment because their league has been cancelled. There's issues here with, once again, with integrity. Um, you can't, it's difficult to change the rules of a contest when you're halfway through it. So going from two legs to one leg, that's difficult. And, you know, it, it, it's difficult to know where these games are going to be played. One solution I posited, and I posited this on Yahoo Sports last week, is why not play out the whole thing in Germany? We know that Germany has excellent safety protocols. We know that Germany has shown that they can succeed with this kind of thing. So why not camp all the teams there? That's problematic because Germany might not want all these foreign teams coming in from, uh, you know, coming over their borders, which, you know, might not be the most appropriate thing to be happening at the moment. And it also might give an unfair advantage to the two German teams who are still in the competition as well. So there's there's no easy answers here and I don't know (laughs) it is as you said nebulous it is very nebulous at the moment and it's I don't, know. I don't know how they're going to get it done, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think there's so many challenges here.
0: I, I, there, there definitely are. And those challenges uh, you've already enumerated. But then there are others. Like you mentioned the final being in Istanbul. There's some speculation. I think the New York Times was reporting this weekend. Uh, the final could be re- uh, moved from Istanbul. Uh, they could be awarded a future competition. There are other cities, uh, as you mentioned, some in Germany. I think Lisbon is also in consideration if they do indeed move it away from Istanbul. So even yeah. in terms of like the host nation, where the entire tournament could end up being played out, as you said, it is Very up in the air. Uh, Again, I I have some sympathy because I think they're they're trying to give different uh, different uh, like European, excuse me, like national federations the opportunity to sort of figure things out before we move forward with the Champions League. But but again, it, it does feel a little bit like we're trying to sort of like, OK, we got to get this done. We got to get this going. We got to get that money back. We got to get these teams on TV. Let's yeah. just figure it out as quickly as we can. And there's a lot to be figured out because we have those quarterfinals, but there are still some teams who haven't even made it to the quarterfinals. And they still have to kind of play the second legs from uh, when the competition was originally postponed. And how do you get everything done in that sort of abbreviated time period. Um, and then at the end of it, uh, you know, how do you make it so that Bayern Munich can win? Because that's how it's going to go, right, Ryan? <laughs> by, by, you reopen the competition. There is uh, much enthusiasm about the way things are going to go. And then Bayern Munich win everything and, uh, and sort of uh, extinguish that excitement.
1: Soccer is a simple game where people run around, 22 people run around for 90 minutes, and at the end Bayern Munich win a competition that's been uh, changed and uh, had a couple of months break within it. I think that's the saying that Gary Lineker <laughs> famously so <laughs> gave, wasn't it? Um, and that's, that's a thing, you know, Bayern do look very strong at the moment. I'm sure we'll touch on that later in the show. But the timing might not work for them because the Bundesliga plan is to have this thing, you know, they've got how many matches? Is it seven match days remaining? Something so, yes. like that. Uh, they, they want to have this wrapped up by the end of June they could have a whole month until they have to you know start playing again in August. Now they've shown that they can come out swinging after a break and this is a you know Bundesliga players are used to having a break in the middle of their season anyway, so I'm not sure it's a huge issue for them, but it might mean that other teams are in their peak if they start playing again and the Bundesliga is all wrapped up. So could be interesting timing for them.
0: No, I think I think that's a valid point because I think it was like many years ago. I'm not a huge baseball fan. Uh, I'd say a moderate baseball fan at best. But there was like the World Series a few years ago when like the the Colorado Rockies. I think were not supposed to go very far, and they ended up making it to the World Series, and they did so by like in a very quick fashion of like they won four games straight. They won four games straight, and their opponent uh, from the I think the I forget who it was, but maybe this was the Red Sox. Like they I think went to seven games, and so the Rockies, who were on this like hot streak and couldn't lose, had to wait, like, several weeks before they could start the World Series, and they lost some of the momentum, or at least they ended up getting destroyed. So, I... feel like that's kind of what we're talking about here is Bayern Munich can be in the best form possible as we've seen it took it was a little bit like some of those games early on were a little bit disjointed in moments and I do have the faith that they would be able to kind of keep it going and especially if they're able to train but I take your point that momentum is a big deal and if you've got teams sort of rounding into form as their season ends which is a strange thing to say and then sort of transitioning into the Champions League yeah you could definitely see some teams that have kind of hit form in the right moment uh, advance further to the tournament than maybe they would have otherwise the other interesting thing which I have not seen reported, but is a thing that kind of jumped in out of uh, to mind when you mentioned like what happens with PSG what happens if if the French government says you know you're not allowed to participate or the the French FA says that would yeah. could we get a situation in which I forget who PSG eliminated I should probably remember that but lots has happened since then um, <laughs> but could you have a situation when then they are awarded the spot <laughs> like like and then could we have a Danish dynamite situation when Denmark don't even qualify for the Euros but because of I think Yugoslavia uh, falling apart that they then get a spot and end up winning like that would be I think a, a future documentary that we could see about a team who were eliminated came back to win the competition they were eliminated from
1: yeah i think it's it's more that I don't, i'm not sure that the fa would stop psd from playing i think it's more they stopped them playing in france ah, okay. and there might be some reservations about crossing borders and you know maybe the other the host country would not want uh teams coming in from certain countries at the moment i don't know that that's that's all up in the air isn't do you,
0: it do you not want my movie to happen is that what you're telling me you don't want my documentary to be a thing that's what I'm hearing you from
1: you. Tell you pitched me a lot of movie ideas, okay? I can't, I can't <laughs> sort through them all. I
0: feel, I feel like I actually might. Um, and when <laughs> I pitch you all those ideas... It can be tiring, Ryan. It can be a dehydrating thing. Do you see where I'm going with this? And if you are uh, struggling with thirst, that's not in the copy. Uh, Then I wanted to tell you about Hydrant. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets. You mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. And not coincidentally, Hydrant is a sponsor on today's Total Soccer Show.
1: Oh, that was beautiful. Beautifully done once again, tay <laughs> Yes, Yes, uh, top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jump start your mornings. Got a stat for you, Taylor. Did you know Please. 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? Chronically
0: I promise that this is not like the same anecdote I am reusing whenever we have a hydrant like uh, ad read. But I'm looking around my desk and I have uh, a Coke Zero bottle. I have a consumed cup of coffee and I have a completely full water bottle that I have not yet opened or touched. It is the case that I I think I go for the things that aren't necessarily good for hydration. as mm-hmm. uh, And maybe I should switch that around. Part of that I know for some people can be that. Water can be a little bit boring. Maybe it's not the most fun thing to drink. And that's where Hydrant comes in because they've got the essential electrolytes, but they've got the flavors of blood orange. You've got lime. You've got grapefruit. You can kind of mix it up, but it does get you going. It gives you that sense of energy. And sometimes there can be that feeling of like, I am treating my body well. And that in itself can be motivating. Like if you wake up and instead of eating... I don't know, like a chocolate Danish and something else that's bad for you. If you just have, I don't know, like a piece of fruit, maybe you feel a little bit better. Like, yeah, I'm being responsible. And I think Hydrant helps me feel more responsible, Ryan.
1: It should do. You, you need to feel more responsible, frankly. I I'd be to have a talk with you about that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, Coke Zero, is, it's morning time, Taylor. Come on. Uh, there's, there's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners in Hydrant. The, the the formula is vegan. And you can choose between the uh, three different flavors that Tay Tay mentioned there or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just... $1 a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription.
0: And you can save even more uh, when you use our promo code. Uh, if you want to get 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash soccer. Uh, that's drinkhydrant.com soccer for 25% off your first order. Ryan, one more time. What's that URL?
1: Drinkhydrant.com slash soccer.
0: There we are. Thank you very much to Hydrant for sponsoring this episode and for reminding me to not just consume things that will make me feel like garbage later on. Um, (laughs) Let's move away from that and let's talk We don't have a Coke
1: Zero sponsor later, do we? I
0: I was wondering if that was ever going to happen. I would not uh, say no to that, but it seems unlikely for now. Maybe that will change, but if we keep... uh, you know, talking them, uh, talking about them as not being a morning beverage, Brian. I don't know what's what's going to take place. I also don't know what's going to happen with Major League Soccer, which oh. is not a thing that we had planned to talk about. But there was news yesterday slash last night that we could be heading for a lockout, which is not a thing I really expected uh, when we were rounding out last week. But uh, the the gist of it is, I will try to make sense of this for people who haven't been following or uh, who, like myself, struggle to under understand. Uh, complex negotiations and contract clauses. But essentially, there is a need to rework, uh, some of the, de- some of the agreements within the, uh, current collective bargaining agreement. You have to kind of take into consideration how the league is going to change about the possible tournament in Orlando. Um, so the, there have been negotiations back and forth. Major League Soccer Players Association submitted their most recent counter offer. Which I think increased the amount of kind of concessions to well over a hundred million or more than a hundred million from the last time that they submitted their uh their plan uh and MLs has reportedly already pushed back they've insisted that their offer that they sent was the final offer ESPN uh, analyst Hercules Gomez tweeted that MLs is giving until noon on Tuesday, otherwise the players will be locked out uh, and there are many, many sticking points we can get into some of them, Ryan, but first off, were you as surprised by this news as I was because I know that you are more like, uh, involved in Major League Soccer, interested in in what is happening in Major League Soccer to some extent, at least when it comes to Charlotte. Like, Mm -hmm. did you sort of foresee these uh, conversations turning the way they did?
1: This is not, uh, yeah, a uh, a conversation I thought we'd be having, to be honest, but now I can see why we are. Are we, is there a fear that we're just making a bit too much in this and this is just a standard kind of posturing that you get between a players' association and a league? Yes, a thousand percent.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that is probably the case, and that has been very much suggested that this could be like a, a, a you know a strong position to take. Uh, it's a negotiating position. It could be a stalling tactic. Uh, it can be yeah, just sort of trying to force the players to see if there's any other thing they can get. It's still not a great look. <laughs> I would say that much because at a time when we've already talked about like there is there is social turmoil, there is political turmoil, there is economic turmoil, to then be haggling over percentage points. Uh, seems like maybe not the best look for a league that charges as much as they do for an expansion fee. Uh, and I, and I don't even want to like at- attack the league here. We've done plenty attacking, uh, leagues around the world already. More just that this seems like not great timing or not a great look, I guess, for MLS to kind of be having in this moment in this time period the possibility of a work stoppage and players being locked out it it doesn't quite make sense to me and that's where I I do hope that it is sort of a temporary thing and like maybe even by the time people hear this it's already been resolved
1: yeah I expect it will be resolved because as you say the optics wouldn't be great if it it was not resolved and it seems like looking at the reporting in the athletic that the safety and health uh, protocols of, uh, of locating the tournament in Orlando have been ironed out and there's no issues there so that's that's fantastic and it's going to be a really good opportunity to come back as well. You know, you've got so many other leagues, as we've mentioned, returning or planning to return in June. You've got the NBA thinking of coming to the same complex in, is it July, I think? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and there'll be some other American leagues kind of trickling back as well. So I, I think there's a window here to to be spotlighted as well, which I think the MLS should definitely try and take.
0: They should. I, I do think it it will require... At least some more difficult conversations. I don't think it's as simple as MLS or – despite like maybe referencing this earlier, I don't think it is MLS looking across the way and being like, are you sure you can't drop like one more percentage point? That's what we're looking for. I think there are some major issues that could easily be resolved, but I I do – uh, like I am kind of looking again and thinking, uh-oh. Uh, Jeff Carlisle uh, reported uh, some great re- reporting from Jeff Carlisle at ESPN, some great reporting on The Athletic as well. Uh, he wrote, a bigger sticking point relates to the force majeure clause that would allow either side to back out of a CBA in the case of a catastrophic event like, say, a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, MLS's proposal – gives it the right to invoke the clause if uh, five teams suffer an attendance drop of 25% or more from the previous year, while the MLS Players Association uh, does not have that stipulation. Uh, I believe that's like their, their part of the agreement. MLS Players Association is saying, no, we don't want that in there. MLS is saying they do, as Sam uh, Stachko reported on Twitter, or just tweeted, I should say, maybe not reported. Uh, basically, like that, like the 25% attendance drop could just mean that some teams report their actual attendance and it would then drop by 25 and, <laughs> like, I don't even think he's making a joke there. I think that is the reality. And that is the type of thing that I could see being a major issue of any time a player feels like we are giving up control, like, you now, like, the, like, Major League Soccer would then have, like, unilateral decisions as to whether or not they want to pull out of the collective bargaining agreement and have the ability to to like make the procedures happen, (laughs) like I could see how you'd be like, wait, hold on, you guys just have 100% control on this one? Like, no, we don't want to just give that away. So how they come to a conclusion on that, or how they reach an agreement on that, I don't really know. And that's where I do have some concern. That said, I am not like a a labor negotiator, nor do I have really any background in this. So that might be less of a big deal than it seems to be on paper.
1: This is all, and from an outsider perspective today, this is all very American to me. Having mm-hmm. the having the, the league potentially locked out. This doesn't really, well, I maybe it does, but it doesn't feel like something that's
0: uh,
1: mm. on the European playing field. It just makes me think of the Simpsons where the, where Homer was the master negotiator with Mr. Burns for oh, the Labour. <laughs> Dental plan, Lisa needs braces.
0: <laughs> i mean you know he i think he got it done so let's let's let he let's did. let uh dan castellaneta is that the voice of homer let's have him represent <laughs> the players uh i guess don garber would be mr burns uh, who maybe is also dan castellaneta i forget who does that voice too he Kazaria, possibly that would probably be more likely all right so let's have yeah. those two sit across from each other and do funny voices and i feel like that's a good entertaining way to do collective bargaining agreements i think no, we solved this ryan
1: I think we have, as we do solve most another, things, movie as, as we another movie pitch.
0: Another movie pitch.
1: Taylor, you've done it again. Bag <laughs> of money slams on the table. Um, I, I picture this, these negotiations as being two men sitting across the table from one another MLS representative and MLSPA representative, sort of writing something on a napkin, putting, placing it face down, sliding it across the table. And some sort of raised eyebrows on the other side mm-hmm. of the table. Is that how these things happen? I hope it is. I, I,
0: I hope <laughs> it, what I want it to be is like one of them writes, uh, writes something on a piece of paper, folds it up, slides it across the table. The other person ta- like pulls it back, opens it up and it just says like, what is GAM again? I still don't understand this. Like, <laughs> like I hope that's part of it as well because uh, I did have that uh, today trying to like parse some of this did make my head hurt uh, and I just swiftly moved on. But yes, I hope it is a series of notes being sent back and forth and we can preserve those for posterity as well so uh there is lots still to uh to happen and we will be covering what happens with major league soccer with the champions league with the premier league but now ryan let's talk about some actual soccer that happened this weekend because we do still have games in the bundesliga even though it does feel like the title is pretty much gone at this point if not Definitely gone. Seven games remaining, Bayern with a, a fairly strong lead. Bayern also not giving any, any indicator that they're going to be slipping up. They uh, they beat Fortuna Dusseldorf 5-0 on the weekend. I'm, I'm assuming, Ryan, that you're happy to go with the like prevailing narrative that, yep, that's the title race done.
1: I think so. As you say, seven games to go, seven-point lead that Bayern Munich have. We sort of hinted last week when we spoke, Taylor, that this would be the week where we could basically decide whether we had a title race or not yeah. and things didn't go that way necessarily the mm. results the, the the chips fell as they did and here we have Bayern Munich with another uh big convincing win and marching their way to another inevitable title yay for fun and soccer woo <laughs> I um,
0: mean but it- I was just gonna say yeah to, to your point the seven points clear like I was trying to build a narrative where, like, okay, but maybe. And then you just think about it, like, could Byron lose a game? Yeah, sure, anybody can lose a game. Could they lose two games? Maybe. Like, that's a lot for them to lose, even if they take their foot off the gas. But they would still have to cough up another uh, draw somewhere for things to kind of tighten up a bit. And I just, that seems like a massive slip uh, from a Byron team that do not look likely to slip. You could throw 100 bananas on the field. I still feel like they're not going to slip.
1: Nice analogy. Another movie pitch there. Um, I I will say, though, in the next um, three matches, they've got uh, Bayer Leverkusen and they've got Borussia Mönchengladbach coming up as well. Mm -hmm. And Eintracht Frankfurt again. Oh, no, that's a a cup game. That's not going to happen, is it? No, but they've got the next two games in the league, Leverkusen and Gladbach. So those are potential uh, banana skins on the field there in their hundreds, Taylor. So we shall see about that one. But as you say, this Bayern team is looking pretty resplendent at the moment. They just look so good. They're so entertaining to watch. And it makes you wonder how Niko Kovac didn't do as well with basically this same team. He's, a, he's the guy who openly complained mm-hmm. that the squad wasn't good enough to play against uh, the Liverpools of this world and their and gegenpressing. You know, and pressing, and, and look how much this team has been transformed yeah. under Hansi Flick. It's incredible.
0: It is. Uh, and, and I've talked to Manuel Faith about this on Soccer 101, about why Bayern and Munich are so good so consistently. We've talked about it again in relation to uh, Der Klassiker, which I guess we're not supposed to call it, but whatever. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's a Bayern team that, you're right, Nico Kovac... That coaching resume is taking a hit this season <laughs> between just the way it went at Bayern and also saying like, no, they're not good enough. And now we have this completely unstoppable juggernaut that Hansi Flick has assembled. And I think that's a big part of it is that Hansi Flick is Hansi Flick. He he is a Bayern Munich guy. He's been with Bayern Munich. And I think that's a big thing. Manuel talked a lot about that is that Bayern want people who understand like what the club is, have, have some familiarity with the, with the team. Uh, the people who are in charge, like the, not not necessarily the manager, although the manager now, but like Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Oli Hannes, like these are people who've been with Bayern Munich since the 70s. And I think Mm -hmm. that level of consistency is a massive part of why they're so good. I also think it's, the case that you then have like like a prioritizing of the players and their happiness and it's why i think they they were not okay but didn't maybe put up more of a fight when pep started uh you know getting some some notes some notes that across the table from man city i think it's why they were willing to pull the trigger on sacking ancelotti it's why they're willing to pull the trigger on sacking niko kovac i think if they yeah. feel like the dressing room is going that is is kind of where bayern Have have drawn their line, and it's not quite the like a player is bigger than the club, but it's more like the locker room is all important. And if the locker room is happy, we will always have the talent to be very, very good, if not outright dominant. And so, keeping those players happy, putting them in positions that I think makes sense, as has been the case for Thomas Muller. I think Hansi Flick has done a lot of very basic but very smart at the same time stuff to sort of facilitate a greater sense of camaraderie and a greater atmosphere of competition on the terms that maybe the players want it which is to say attacking soccer lots of numbers committed forward attacking wingbacks Alphonso Davies being very very quick Robert Lewandowski scoring goals I mean you look at that third goal it is it is just a master class in like knowing where like like telepathy and knowing where your runs are going to be and communicating without facing the same direction and it's layoffs and cutbacks and it's a phenomenal goal if people haven't seen it.
1: It's. It's beautiful. It reminded me of that classic PlayStation Arsenal goal in a way. Just a uh, you know, just absolutely fantastic uh, build-up, mm-hmm. amazing positioning from all the players involved. The creativity there, the execution, just lovely. And like Müller and Lewandowski, they just seem like they've got this mm-hmm. telepathic thing going on at the moment. As you say, Müller being well used at the moment, and Lewandowski—that was his first goal in seven games against Düsseldorf. So he broke his spell with this one as well. And there, there was some this 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 goal weirdly reminded mm-hmm. me of basketball a little bit because it felt like Dusseldorf, they were sitting back in what I would describe as a half-court press or or, Mm -hmm. or they were being half-court pressed, if you will. They were just sitting back waiting for them to come into that third. Sorry,
0: Ryan, can I just interrupt for a moment? I really apologize. Uh, I do want you to continue. I just want to say you have like totally crystallized clarified this moment in my mind of like you are absolutely right this is very much a basketball play like it, it i see like it now from play, the fluidity it? of like cutbacks and passes and passes and it's just like yeah you're totally right man you're totally right
1: yeah it was all about cutbacks and yeah late layoffs this thing and it, and as i say yeah the, the dusseldorf sitting back like you'd expect a basketball defense to do and mm-hmm. then you know back healing to usual kimmick and there's like cut back to Muller I think and then another cut back to Lewandowski it's, it's it just looks like they're going shooting hoops basically yeah. it's beautifully done really beautifully
0: done It it, it reminds me because it is—it's basically like David Alaba. The quick uh, summary of this one is David Alaba gets the ball, maybe forty yards from goal. He plays a direct ball into the feet of Robert Lewandowski. He dummies it, which allows it to be basically then a through ball for Joshua Kimmich to run onto. He cuts it back to Thomas Muller, who then cuts it back to Robert Lewandowski. Robert Lewandowski finishes. But like the image I got there when you were mentioning basketball is the thing of like like moving the ball, moving the ball, quick, 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 quick. And then there's like as the player starts driving to the hoop, it's like the like bounce pass behind the back to the person you didn't even see coming who catches and like. Like, soar through the air and ducks, and that was very much Lewandowski in this one, and the the communication and the awareness. It reminded me as well of the this is a slightly deep cut reference but there was like the Guti backheel for Real Madrid many many years ago I think to Raul I could be wrong on that one but yeah. I remember that one standing out as like how did he hit that so perfectly on the backheel and know exactly where his teammate was like he puts it into stride for a clean finish and that was always one of my favorite backheels this sequence though is up there because it's it's a double cutback but it's also just the awareness and, and knowledge and probably the confidence of there's probably somebody else running into the box because we're Bayern Munich and we always have people running <laughs> into the box
1: <laughs> we planned this for several months ago I don't know what talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I it's beautiful and th- I mean that wasn't even the best back heel move potentially in this game because the fourth goal Lewandowski's yeah. back heel sliding finish which also nutmegged the keeper good lord that was so a good you're
0: goal, saying he's ones. good you're saying Robert I'm saying, good I'm
1: saying that you should, you should watch out for this kid he's got some talent I would say and that was a really nicely worked goal as well um it just see let, let me put it like this Tate. Please. In Japanese business philosophy, they have oh something boy. called the the kaizen philosophy, small incremental changes. I don't think Bayern have done that. I think they've done fairly wholesale, massive changes between uh, uh, between Niko Kovač and Hansi mm-hmm. Flick. But also, it is kind of incremental in the, the, the way they've changed. They've changed small things. The the the, the press is more intense. They're limiting, uh, you know, passing sequences for the opposition even more. Uh, you know, they're countering much better. And most crucially, I think. They're pressing more in the wide spaces with mm-hmm. uh, with, with Davies and uh, uh, what's his name uh, uh, Pavard. from modern kid from Modern Family Benjamin, Benjamin Pavar <laughs> like, uh, on the other flank. <laughs> he makes have every time. What's his name in Modern Family? Luke uh, Luke, Luke, Luke yeah. from Modern Family. Yeah, on on the uh, on the right <laughs> flank as well. But the, the way those two sort of are pressing and you know Kimmy can drop in behind and, and cover them when they go up. I it's just beautifully done uh I, I'm just very impressed with this Bayern team if I've not made that clear enough already
0: I mean I mean you have Pavar scoring the second goal and, and being like inside uh the opposition six yard box assisted by Yoshua Kimmich yeah I think that tells you what you need to know about how committed yeah. uh Bayern are to the attack I will also say I did hear reports that when Niko Kovac was fired he was required to remove the items from his office one at a time so maybe they did sort of take that philosophy into account when they sacked him they didn't really do that but I, I like the idea I incremental like
1: sacking i like that one <laughs> yeah. very good and uh obviously we've got to give some shout up to mr alfonso davis as well haven't we for Getting the getting that uh goal number five as well yeah as i've seen him called the maple messi the canuck cristiano the poutine pele the lumberjack Lewandowski, the mounty mason mount made those last ones up
0: myself that i would say the good, the so. mounty maradona i was looking Mountie for maradona, an M, and, and you nailed it <laughs> um yeah is so. my favorite so I think we are legally obligated to praise Alfonso Davies. Uh, we are uh, legally obligated, I believe, by Bundesliga law to uh, to credit Bayern Munich for that win. But yep. Ryan, speaking of in- incremental change, let's talk about today's uh, sponsor. Let's talk about Hymns for a moment. 4 uh, is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. And what I want to talk about is the gradual thinning of hair. It can be a slow thing. It can be a fast thing sometimes, but... It is the case that 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. Uh Arian Robin, I think it was uh, seven years old is when he started to lose hair. Uh, so it kind of hits people at different times. Uh, but the best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some time and while you still have some hair. That's the important thing there. As long as it's there, you can theoretically keep it there. When it's gone, difficult to get that back.
1: Very true. It's like getting toothpaste out of the old uh, toothpaste squirty thing. My <laughs> God, I can't say words today
0: tube thank you very much <laughs> and
1: hims is here to help if you do have hairless issues i should say 66% of men losing their hair by age 35 i'm 36 and i'm just kind of feeling around my scalp right now feeling very paranoid but mm-hmm. uh, hims is here to help uh, men uh, guys be the best version of themselves with licensed physicians and fda approved products to help treat their hair loss no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements once again please don't get your medical stuff at the gas station mm-hmm. and there's, then there's prescriptions here uh, prescription solutions i should say which are backed by science and we all know in this modern age tay science is important and everybody believes in it over everything else right is that oh, right? totally
0: we all accept it. It, it it's fact it's not at all uh seen as opinion no that's how it goes right <laughs> i want to ask you this though which of these do you feel uh more confident in saying out loud um i got my medication from science or i got my medication from the gas station
1: could it be a scientific gas station? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's the next step in SpaceX, I Maybe think. Maybe <laughs> the gas station attendants were wearing lab coats? Yeah, okay, okay. But until that happens, until we have a, an orbiting uh, science station halfway between, the, between uh, Earth and Mars, uh, our listeners can instead get started with their first month free. Go to 4 slash slash totalsoccer. That's 4 slash slash totalsoccer. Ryan, there's the disclaimer. I want you to do your best disclaimer reading.
1: Prescription requires an online consultation Ooh. with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Offer valid only if prescribed. Three-month minimum subscription. Additional restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information.
0: Did you put on a monocle for that? That was impressive. Remember, that's for himscom slash Total Soccer. Thank you very much to HIMS for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Ryan. Phenomenal, phenomenal British reading there. I felt like you had a tuxedo on and a monocle and you were smoking like one of those fancy hand rolled uh, cigarettes with uh, the cigarette holder in place. I'm assuming that your go to look when you do ad reads.
1: I very rarely don't have that look in general. Yes, you're <laughs> correct.
0: All right, so we've, we've sung the praises of Bayern Munich. Let's go the opposite way and talk about a team that are not having a great time. Uh, Schalke <laughs> lose again, 1-0 to Werder Bremen. Uh, Daryl and I talked about this game a little bit uh, from the weekend, uh, from Saturday's show. Ryan, let's talk about it today. is uh, still losing, still not looking very good. Uh, Daryl and I got deep on kind of David Wagner and why I thought he was a good coach heading into Schalke, but maybe he has not justified that. Do you have expl- explanations for why Schalke are struggling? The way they are,
1: uh, they're not very good at soccer, and they don't play very nice. Looking soccer is a big, a big issue. All right, I think, I think we've done it. It's shall we just, move on? Yeah, we've <laughs> nailed it. Um, you know, this is this is a team who, you know, they're not fun to watch. It's, it's sort of you know hoofing the ball and a bit of kick and rush and a bit of let's try and be aggressive to try and win, but the aggression doesn't amount to much uh, a lot of the time. They had twelve shots, I believe, in this game. One. On target. That's not a super good conversion rate there. Uh, um, I think Bremen had half Mm. as many shots. This, uh, I think in the second half, can we say the start of the second half, Schalke Mm. looked quite good? They looked quite optimistic, and Weston McKenney may be the player who looked like he had the most in him to try and get something back in this game. Who, by the way, Schalke's only go score in the last seven games. Can that be true? Is that true? Wow.
0: It might be. Wow, Good I hadn't team. thought about that, but yeah, he's the only yeah. one I remember scoring, and I'm pretty sure they have only scored the one. Oh, and boy. he did
1: not look super happy about coming off the coming off the field, there, did he? I think you could uh, see he was just as aggressive when he left the field as he was when he was on it. Um, I, I think one of the big issues here is the Schalke back backline, at back three. Sane mm. seems to be doing an okay job, and to to Debo and um, and Quebec doing, mm. you know, inconsistent. I think we could say. Yeah, so, so, interesting positioning quite a lot of the time. And I think to be fair, Quebec, he presented he prevented a pretty good goal scoring chance. I think in the second half, where he, he got a, a good block in. Um, but otherwise, I'm not so convinced by that back line. I think that's a huge issue.
0: Yeah, I, I I think the back line has issues. I think certainly the front line does as well. The lack of mm. proven goal scorers. No, Amin Harit, no Briel Embolo for various reasons. Yeah. And and I think that's that's what it kind of boils down to me for Schalke. Uh, and I'm not breaking any new ground, but it's worth reiterating. Like, yes, David Wagner could maybe like decide on a system and really drill down on that. Maybe the players could be performing a little bit better, could be a little bit sharper. Some injuries, what have you. But but a massive part of this is just that. Like, I think about like when a team. Not saying this is Schalke necessarily, but if you have a team that gets promoted from the Championship to the Premier League or Bundesliga 2 to the Bundesliga, they're going to bring a lot of that same squad with them. But let's say they stay up... That first season at that point, there's going to be a clear awareness of, okay, this of our if we're playing a back three, this center back is just not good enough to play the style we want to play at this level. So we've got to replace that person. This striker doesn't quite fit with what we need. They're not good at, say, the hold up play that we want. So we need to bring in a new striker. And it feels like what has happened with Schalke because they haven't invested because they've had many, many issues behind the scenes and some public, some slightly more private. I don't think that they have done nearly enough uh, to like rejuvenate that squad. And so players who were maybe good enough at a certain point but haven't progressed or have aged and gotten a step slower or maybe just gotten a, st- a step less precise, you don't have that sort of refreshing of the squad to keep them competitive, to keep them consistent, and to keep the new blood coming in that makes the players sort of fight for those competitions, fight for those spots that then raises the overall competitiveness of the team. Instead, it just sort of feels like, oh, they sold their striker and they signed— Nobody. Okay. So it can be anybody who plays striker. And like, I love getting, seeing Weston McKinney get as many minutes and get as many chances as he has. But it's not quite the same as RB Leipzig and Tyler Adams. And obviously Leipzig are like in the top four and and in that conversation potentially for challenging Bayern Munich someday. But I just mean more so that like there are so many good players at Leipzig that when Adams does get minutes, it feels like, okay, like he's kind of proved it. He has justified his inclusion. Whereas Schalke, I know Weston McKinney has looked one of their best players and, and does deserve his spot but there is also that feeling of like yeah but who else <laughs> like and so like or they, they have another midfielder but he's got to play forward because they don't have a forward and i think that lack of depth and that lack of like refresh in the squad i think uh, playing a massive part in why they just they look tired they look leggy and they don't look unified and that's three things you definitely uh yeah. would prefer to see happen if you're trying to compete in a top tier league
1: is that an excuse to look tired and leggy after they've had like a two month break and after they were quite good in the, or relatively good in the first half of the season as well, though? I'm not, I don't
0: All, know, I, all I can say to that, like, I know what you mean. My, my only thought would just be that I feel like they, they, it's not that they're changing like wholesale the system or the style necessarily, but I think you're seeing tactical, formational changes from game to game. And I think sometimes when you don't have the, awareness so like Bayern for example or, or like going back to like Ajax in the 70s famously they talk about how like they didn't practice fitness like Ajax would do some fitness training but it wasn't about like run 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 even though that whole system was about run 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 what have you but it's more about like Bayern Munich they expect to have the ball they expect to be on the ball and so they can sort of dictate the pace of the game whereas if you're trying to figure things out you're going to compensate by using fitness to make up for it look at Alphonso Davies to go back to the Byron example not always in the best position but has the pace to make up for it if he has to Schalke I think are using like uh, in extending that analogy like their version of pace uh, to make up for some of the deficiencies in the team in the tactics but then eventually if you're kind of overexerting yourself you're going to slow down it's going to catch up to you and there's going to be holes that open up and I think that's sort of a a a how I understand what's happening to Schalke explainer
1: that's fair enough and I think for me, it's kind of a combination of things. It's it's the fact that they're a bit rusty. It's a fact yep. that the style is not super inspiring, but also quite prominently, it's a lot of individual errors going on. Like for mm. that goal, with uh, I know I've attacked to be to T- debo easy for me to say a bit, quite a bit already on this show, but. He's up far... When, that, um, when the goal comes, he's up far too high up the pitch and he loses possession. He's wearing very stupid tiny shin guards and I have a big thing about how much I dislike that. But um, I think that's the reason why David Classen easily takes the ball off of him. You know, and it creates like this three-on-two counter. And Bittencourt, who didn't have a wonderful game, pulls off like this Riyamaru-style amazing finish. And, and it was all because Tadebo thought he was Diego Maradona uh, on the halfway line, basically. When he's not, and he's, and that was we've seen errors like this in the past few games from Schalke as yeah. well, and they could have gone they could have gone a couple of goals down in this game, frankly. And I just thought th- there's a lot of factors going on here with this Schalke team, and it is nicked so good.
0: As I said last week, I, I enjoy Lutz van en as a commentator. And I go back to his point in uh, the Dortmund game, I think it was. There is no need for trying to be Diego Maradona if you are not Diego Maradona. <laughs> I think that is always uh, good words to live by. So we shall see what happens to Shaka, But congrats to Werder Bremen. Uh, congrats to Josh Sargent. Doesn't score but is involved in the game. I think does a lot of things that his coach... Uh, wanted him to do and that has not always been the case so I think it's it's a step in the right direction for Josh Sargent the opposite mm-hmm. for Schalke certainly a step in the right direction uh, for Borussia Dortmund the last game we're going to talk about they destroy Paderborn uh, 6-1 to they also continue the streak of uh, home teams not having that much of a home field advantage when it comes to closed door games although that might be less to do with the lack of atmosphere and more so to do with it was Paderborn versus Dortmund.
1: Yeah, kind of a localish derby this one, Paderborn. They've got I think the smallest stadium in the league. They're quite a humble little side. I, I kind of I think I've seen them equated with being the Norwich of the Bundesliga in, in many respects. I think that's kind of a fair comparison. They are not doing very well. They're winless in ten. And yeah, they got taken apart here, didn't they? This was a, another sort of Brucey Dortmund masterclass here and um I mean Jaden Sancho probably the star of the show right 17 goals now and 17 assists in the league and his uh, if we're going to talk about conversion rates which we were I think with Schalke he's got a very good conversion rate and even if you compare it with Erling Haaland who um you know wasn't involved in this game it seems like he takes his chances more than anyone else in this league am i right in thinking that
0: uh I, I think I think you're right. I think I mean Haaland has done a pretty decent job of taking his chances. But well, if
1: you say that, but there's a lot of times where Haaland flosses lines or he miss kicks or he you know, almost puts it in Rosie and I I think you don't see as much I think, as Haaland is amazing, you don't see as much as that from Sancho.
0: Okay. I, I take your point. I think a lot of what I'm remembering is the like initial start for Holland where it was like what, he scored like seven goals with his first nine touches or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Okay. But yeah, I know what you mean. I, and I think though for Jaden Sancho, the thing that like if you are a Dortmund fan and you're disappointed by the way the game against Byron went, you're disappointed by that seven point gap and how it seems like it's gonna be difficult for that to close down. I think there are some like positives to take away from this game. Certainly when you win six to one on the road, there are positives. But that Jaden mm-hmm. Sancho performance, as you mentioned, a hat trick at a time when I personally was thinking like, ooh, this might not be good for him. Like like I, I I was contemplating a sort of what-if scenario of here's this player who was in incredible form prior to the pandemic and, and, and we all thought was going to go for, what, well over $100 million? There were lots of different teams interested. It felt like he was the next big thing. And since the the resumption of play has not gotten as many minutes, has looked sort of out of shape, hasn't really looked up to the pace, and hasn't looked at, like sort of a cohesive member of that squad at times, for mm-hmm. him to come out and have the performance he did, and, and I already mentioned it, but then to also kind of carry the weight of referencing the situation in the United States, and I think credit to him for taking that stance, for a mm-hmm. young player to do that, is, is very commendable. But then just that his overall performance was so solid, and as we've talked about on this show and elsewhere, that... Like we might not see the explosion in the transfer market that we've seen uh, in the past. We might not have as many players going for insane amounts of money. If you're a Dortmund fan, knowing that maybe he might not move and also knowing that maybe he is still quite good and can score boatloads of goals and take those chances, maybe that's a reason for optimism for Dortmund fans.
1: I'd say so, yeah. And there is a lot of talk that he will stay one more season and I kind of hope he does because he's he's been so important to this team and there's a team that's not lacking in uh, midfield and attacking midfield options and I'm, it's wonderful that he's uh, he's getting out there again. I'll say my favourite goal from this game almost enjoyed as much as that aforementioned Bayern Munich 3-0 goal was Sancho's first here. We've got that amazing through ball coming from Thomas Delaney and then it's the, it's the square ball from Julian Brandt yep. that Sancho finishes. Brandt, when he collects the ball from Delaney it's this kind of The first touch with his left foot is really incredible. Kind of opens his body up and it's it's perfectly weighted and it it sets him on the path to put this cross into Sancho, which there's only one possible path this ball can take without one of the two defenders who it goes past getting to it. It's this perfectly weighted ball. That, um, that Brandt puts in for mm-hmm. Sancho. And I thought that was really, really spectacular. And just a, another reason why Julian Brandt has been really important to this team as well. He was he was fantastic in this game too, I thought. And that was my favorite moment of this game.
0: I, I agree that it was your favorite moment, but also I agree that it was a very good moment. Um, And I would say to Julian Brandt, there, there is in my mind this sort of like, there's always this group of players that people sort of like simultaneously rate and underrate at the same time. And there was that like, I think there was like, people will kind of roll their eyes maybe or or disagree, but I feel like there was a period of time in which, like, Xavi was sort of overlooked prior to the dominance of Pep Guardiola coming in. There was like, oh, you know, like, Xavi's fine. He's a good midfielder, but, like, there wasn't the kind of, like, uh... I don't, I don't know, just sort of outpouring of like, this man is amazing and can do everything that we kind of have nowadays. And I think to some extent, like Paul Scholes was a similar player that Xavi talked about how good Paul Scholes was. And Scholes was great, but doesn't have the success with England and doesn't like sort of get the headlines of some other like goal scorers, some more marquee players. And I would put Julian Brandt in that category as well of a player who we know is very good, plays for a big team, has a very high profile and so he is in some ways like accurately rated like yeah very good gets a lot of money plays for Dortmund is an impact player yeah but then simultaneously it's really easy to overlook those little moments and the little cutbacks and the little movements into space for open up to open up for other people and the kind of vision and awareness of a player like him is a thing that's easy to overlook but shouldn't be because it's so fundamentally important to the way teams like Dortmund want to attack
1: yeah definitely um I agree with all of that. And end I'll... end of monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Very enjoyable monologue. And also can I give a shout out to Marcel Schmelzer for getting the goal? And also well, he got the assist for the fourth goal, I think, as well. He he almost mm-hmm. got the shot off himself on that fourth goal as well. Very enjoyable to see. So, is that kind of a almost a, a, a passing of the a, of the mantle there from, from old old Dortmund to New a little bit? <laughs>
0: I, I'd i be okay with that, although I, I think maybe <laughs> some of those Dortmund players don't yet want to be considered old. But uh, That's true. But we shall see. But for now, Ryan, you know what I've enjoyed? What's that? Talking to you. It's been oh, fun. It has, been, it has been a genuine delight to uh, kind of take a break from reality to talk about the soccer reality with you. It's always very enjoyable, and I always appreciate you taking the time to do so.
1: Likewise, Taylor. Always a pleasure. Never a chore.